Welcome, everybody. Um, we are back with War Room the Hockey Podcast. I'm Evan Rauer. Uh, we are back with another episode. Uh, I want to thank you all for joining us. Uh, still um, kind of living uh, the high life, if you will, after our last episode with Ryan Walter. Uh, it's always great having him on. We've only had him on a couple times, but it's always great when we do, and we look forward to many, many more times. Uh Connecting with him, conversing with him, sharing stories, uh, leadership uh, snippets, and all these things. If you have not done so already, um, be sure to head to ryanwalter.com and follow along with him and the things he is doing. They're, they're tremendous, tremendous things. Uh, he leaves a lasting effect, um, no matter how short or long a conversation with him might be. Uh, also, look for his book, like we mentioned before. Uh, his book, his new book, which hopefully will be out uh, come the fall. Exciting, exciting things there. Also head to Instagram and Facebook. Give us a follow and a like if you haven't done it already. Head to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe. Then be sure to give us a rating and a review. Uh, please, please, please. Um, that is the call to action for today. A rating and a review. Um, some things have occurred in life recently that have... Um, made me um, think differently a little bit about the review process and what it all means with the subjectivity of it. That being said, however, um, ratings and reviews are the new way that podcasts continue to grow on the charts and within the system with the algorithms and all these different things. So um, absolutely subscribe, absolutely uh do all these things on social media if you truly enjoy the show, uh, which we hope you do. Um, but along with it, above all else, rate and review. Uh, that way we can continue to grow and continue to be to have um, that inspiration to put out great content for our listeners. Uh, it's greatly appreciated. War Room the Hockey Podcast. This week we are um, discussing goaltending. Um, goaltending uh, and coaching. That is our topic for this week. But before we get into that, there's a few notes to go over real quick, uh, a few important ones. Uh, rest in peace to Walter Gretzky, a man that truly felt like everyone's hockey dad. Uh, not much to say about him, not much I can or want to say. Uh, I will leave that to Wayne and um, his family. Uh, but a great man and a great role model within the game of hockey uh, for what he represented, um, which gave me a great idea for another episode, uh, another topic m moving forward in a future episode, uh, just a very calm, relaxed episode, uh, kind of discussing uh, hockey idols and hockey influences, uh, our personal hockey dads, and, and all these things, and what made us love the game so much. So uh, we'll get into that. But rest in peace to Walter Gretzky. Um, he represented the game so, so well. He represented the Gretzky family. Uh, he carried himself so well, and he truly was the representation of everyone's hockey dad. So prayers and blessings to the Gretzky family, thoughts uh, with them, and rest in peace Mr. Walter Gretzky. Also, a rest in peace 
message to uh, Mark Pavlich. Uh, if that name sounds familiar or uh, you're not sure, Mark Pavlich was a tremendous hockey player and an, such an important piece to the iconic Miracle on Ice in 1980, helping Team USA knock off the Soviets. Uh, that um, whole story is immortalized in the movie Miracle, which we discussed with our friend Ryan Walter, uh, who is in that movie as the referee in that big game. Um, it's a great, great portrayal. Um, again, as Ryan uh, told us, uh, it was done right. Nothing against movies like the Ducks movies, but it was done right because Miracle hired hockey players and trained them to be actors rather than the other way around. Uh, it was a great portrayal, well, so well done. Um, and Mark Pavlich is one of those that are portrayed in a very, very, very good way in that movie. Um, if you haven't seen it, be sure to see it, watch it, um, and remember not only that iconic moment for Team USA and USA Hockey, um, but Mark Pavlich. Uh, it's such tragic news to hear of his passing. Um, prayers to his family and loved ones. Rest in peace, Pav. Moving forward, uh, the final note will say Tom Wilson suspended seven games for an absolutely 100% illegal check to Brandon Carlo of the Boston Bruins. Um, if you know me, I am not. Uh, well, if you know me, you know where I stand with Tom Wilson. I'm not saying any more about it, but there it is. Tom Wilson suspended seven games. War Room the Hockey Podcast. Uh, this week we are discussing coaching and goaltending. Uh, we are again via Zoom this week um, as we are not in the same area, but we in enjoy it nonetheless. Episode 76, War Room the Hockey Podcast. We are discussing goaltending and coaching. We'll be right back. Well, hey, it's great to be back here. We're at the end of February as we record. Uh, good to be back at it with you and uh, good to see you again this week. Yes. Yep. Looking forward to what's it. going on as always. Uh, lots going on, not just on the ice, but off the ice. Lots going on in our minds, yes. in our imaginations. Yes. This is just, uh, I, can, I can barely keep up. I wish I was triplets. That's how exciting this is. <laughs> Uh, big headlines though this week, eh? Uh, Claude Julien got cut loose by Montreal. Did you did you have any idea that was coming? I did not know. They well, they've been playing so well. Yeah, it's rare to see. It's rare to see a first place team cut their coach. I know. I it's just so like I he's he's a French Canadian guy. He's a hundred percent bilingual. He's perfect for that town. He's a proven winner. He's a veteran coach, and he had them finally, because he finally just got the tools to deal with this year, he had them playing really well. I did not see him being a guy who lost four out of five and got whacked. I, I was not expecting that. Now, Travis Green in Vancouver, maybe Tortorella, you know, go down the list. There's a lot of guys out there that could be on real short leashes. I did not think he was one of them. It makes me wonder if – there's only two things that play here. 
either the pressure to win right now in Montreal is five times greater than I gave the credit for, or there was something else behind the scenes where he was not, you know, maybe, I hate to, I hate to talk about mutiny, but maybe, the, maybe a couple of the star guys, I don't know, pick a guy, maybe some of the guys have been grumbling about playing for him, which happens, I don't know. Maybe it was a Don Cherry situation and they were and Bergevin was looking for a reason to get rid of him. And you couldn't really justify to the Montreal public getting rid of a coach that has you at 10 and two and in first place and, and is doing all these things. But then all of a sudden you lose four out of five and, oh, well, he's slipping. So now, okay, I've got the ju- at least some justification to say, see ya. Yeah. That's uh, anyway, big surprise to me. And I don't think he'll be out of work any longer than he wants to be out of work. Um, I talked this morning with our favorite Ducks fan who is eager to get a change made in, uh, in La La Land there because of the lack of performance, the lack of heart that that team has. Julian might be a nice hire for somebody like that. Yeah trying to rebuild a team, trying to, trying to get some young players to, you know, Julian's a, a fundamentally sound coach. His teams yeah. play hard, but uh, saw Henrik Lundqvist back on the ice yesterday. Yeah. Two I, months or whatever removed from heart surgery. Yeah. Bit of a surprise that he was back out there that quickly. Hey, I like, I didn't see that coming. You won't see him this year though. No. There's just no, no just, there's no justification for it liability wise that Washington will or any doctor will say go for it. Uh, no, but uh, to see him back on the ice in general is surprising, but it's nice to see. Yeah, uh, it's I I'd be even more surprised if he's back playing again ever. And I, and I don't wish him any ill, but I just think of Yuri Fisher in Detroit 20 years ago or whenever that was. Oh, uh, Rich um, Peverly in Dallas, heart trouble. Jay Bomeister. Uh, Bomeister, yeah, perfect. Uh, you know, these guys, he, he, first of all, you can't insure it. If a guy's had open heart surgery or, or a valve problem or some other kind of arrhythmia problem, you're just not going to, I don't think anybody in the right mind will put him back on the ice and, and nor should they. I mean, I'm, I, I like all those guys. I have a lot of respect for all of them, but I just, I don't think he ought to be back out there. And I, I'm hoping for, in retrospect, don't you wish this would have happened in the off season while he was still a New York Ranger? They could have put him on long-term injured reserve, cut his cap money, and he could have retired in a blue shirt and everybody would have been happy. Now there's a lot of bitterness uh, in New York, and you know, you know, one of our one of our Ranger fan buddies, very very unhappy about the that little divorce in the off season. Well, there's a way though in sports that it could still happen. You let his one year contract expire this year with Washington, and then you decide in the off season that okay, you just medically you're not playing again. So what you do is you then sign a league minimum contract. Yeah. the Rangers to officially retire as a Ranger. And then from there you can get brought in in either New York or wherever as a consultant or a goaltending coach or whatever. 
and there you go. But exactly. Even even do what they did with um, what Tampa did with uh, oh Matt Carl's brother. Yeah. Sign him for a sign him for a one day contract. Take his picture. Let him retire. Everybody, everybody. Yeah, they they drafted him. Yeah, they drafted <clears throat> yeah. him. Signed his ELC just to take put pen and paper and, and everything, yeah. and then uh, and he's made a nice little living for himself as coach at Denver. Yeah, he's he's going to be he's going to be around a long time. So another guy speaking of Denver and coaching. When do you think we'll see uh, Monty back in the fold again? I, he had Dallas playing so well when he had some personal problems and had to take that leave uh, before uh, Rick Bonus took over. Didn't he? Were, he's in were, St. Louis right now. Uh, Jim Montgomery. Monty is. I mean, do you think he'll get another shot behind the bench? Do you think he wants another shot behind the bench? Jim uh, Montgomery. He's. Uh, I'm looking. Let's see. So yeah, he's an he's an assistant coach in St. Louis with Barube and Ott. So that's, that's a good that's a good segue. I th- one of these days you're going to see Steve Ott get a head coaching job. Think he's, so? Yeah, he's going to be good. I I firmly believe that he's going to be in line. Um, if Monty wants to go back behind the bench as a as a head coach, he will. In and I'm I'm not like everybody else. I don't have that itch that to to still be coaching at sixty or seventy years old the way Quindle or Scotty and and people like that seem to have that unscratchable itch. To me, the best the best position in all of hockey is an assistant coach. You you help design special teams. You push pucks in practice. You're a go between between the head coach and the players. You're never on the chopping block. You sometimes you're ousted because your you know your power play didn't work or because you just they just clean house right. If you're doing a if the whole staff is is whacked, there's nothing you can do about that. But you get you find guys that like Dave Lewis or Jacques Cloutier or somebody like that who's been an assistant forever. They make really good money. They get to be around the game for their entire lives, and they are they never face a microphone. Ever, it's it's the most beautiful thing. It's the best of all worlds. Anyway, that's well, I wonder just, if being groomed in St. Louis for when Brubay's let go or when whatever, and then Ott steps in. Yeah, that's very likely. Or you know, he may be looking for permission in the off season to go talk to other other teams. Who knows? Uh, the Lundquist discussion brings up another curious topic, uh, and I know you had wanted to discuss the goalie the goalie atmosphere in our in our world Washington Capitals are one of those teams speaking of Lundquist where he was going to be um, really good looking team well built winning a lot of games playing really well top of the eastern or not eastern anymore but top of their division <clears throat> but goaltending fragile as with Carolina as with a lot of teams, um, you know, the Flyers, if Carter Hart holds up, there's only a few teams you could probably name just three or four that don't, that are not at risk because they're two excellent goaltenders deep. And unless something like what happened to Colorado last year goes wrong, you know, they're just not at risk. Tampa being one, 
um, I would say maybe Dallas, uh, Toronto, Vegas for sure. Colorado's got two when they're healthy. Montreal's got two. Um, there's not a lot of other teams out there. I think Carolina is very fragile. They're playing really well, but I don't like them in, the, in goal. I just don't yet. Well, Goaltending is the one position that winning and losing actually has an effect on. And it's nothing, it's nothing against goaltenders. It's a very, um, you have to be very skilled to, play, to be a goaltender and you have to, you know, and everything like that. It takes a special person and takes a lot of, you know, a lot of skill and a lot of athleticism. But you never hear of a bad team winning a Stanley Cup on good goaltending. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> you, you definitely so, don't. So, and, and, you know, Matt Murray being an example is he's highly sought after. He's two, he's a two or three times Stanley Cup champion in Pittsburgh. He's your number one goaltender. He's highly sought after. He is traded for, for an up and coming rebuilding team in Ottawa. They give him a $6 million, six year or whatever. And I, I can't remember specifically the contract um, extension and, and everything. And he looks like he belongs in the ECHL. He looks like he belongs in the coast and with the way he's playing. And it's because he's not playing for a team like Pittsburgh anymore. Exactly. But even if Pittsburgh doesn't win a Stanley cup, even if they, even if they miss the playoffs, they are still, they're a competitive winning contending caliber team. Whereas Ottawa and they, Ottawa will be with Kachuk and Stutzla and, and Brandstrom and these guys, but they're not there yet. So you plug a guy in like Murray into a team who was average to begin with all due respect to Murray behind a team like Ottawa who just isn't there yet. And you get a two and 12 Ottawa senators team and a Matt Murray who couldn't stop the beach ball. Well, so it's amazing to look at with that, you know, what we talk all the time about, well, put, you know, name a guy, put Nick Foligno from, from Columbus, just to name a random guy, put him in a lineup in Pittsburgh or Tampa or somewhere and watch what he can do. Right. Mm -hmm. Or this or that. We, we talk about that all the time with these players. To me, it applies more to goaltending than anything. Put a goaltender, hundred percent. Put a goaltender with a Pittsburgh, or a Colorado, or a, you know, a Tampa Bay, or anything like that, and he's gonna be he's gonna be a showstopper. He's gonna steal a show. Yep. You put him in Ottawa. You put him in New Jersey. You put him in these places, and you're gonna look at him going, "Holy crap! He's making how much money to do not to do this?" So. <laughs> I think, I think we're probably going to end up with the same conclusion, <clears throat> but, but think of it this way. Wildcard team LA a few years ago, a plus goaltender in Jonathan quick at the time, won two Stanley cups, B plus team, a plus goaltender, two cups. A-plus team in Chicago, 
a B-minus goaltender in anti-Miami, they win a cup with him. Bring in a better goaltender in Corey Crawford, they win another cup. So you can't, you can't win a cup with a goaltender, but you could certainly lose a cup without a goaltender, right? Yeah. Maybe goaltenders get, and I'm, I'm looking at this, this objectively because I you know, raised a goaltender. Well, I didn't raise him so much as he raised himself, but you know what I mean. Uh, he's, goaltending gets too much credit when you lose and maybe not enough when you win. In my estimation, like, and your example of Matt Murray is really good. However, I would say being, being the GM's advocate here for a minute, they signed him for five years, five times six, I think it was, which puts him, you know, at at, uh, near about 30 ish when he's done. But he's, this is a goaltender that they think the team can grow up with. And that inside of this contract, they're going to become competitive. And in order to do that, they've got to have a goaltender to build around, just like they do Drake Batherson and and, uh, Stutzla and Kachuk up front and uh, Shabbat and guys like that on the back end. So they bring him in as a cornerstone piece. Now, is he supposed to take a really young, really inexperienced, overmatched team and put them on his back every night? No. Ask Carey Price how that works. It just doesn't. I mean, once in a while, he'll steal some games. But those guys are if – if he continues to play the way he is right now, and that team goes from C- minus or D-plus in their quality of play overall to A-, minus B-plus style of play – that's going to be a cup contender in three years. And DJ Smith is a good coach. So all I'm saying is, yeah, you, you, yeah, if you want to, if you want Matt Murray to look like he did in Pittsburgh, then put him behind Sid Crosby and Chris Letang and, and Malkin and, and all those guys. Like, that's how, that's how you make him look the same way. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, it probably in a case like this or Kerry Price in Montreal over the years, this is the ultimate example of the team game. And it just simply is good or bad. You can't depend on those guys to steal games for you every night. You can't get by on good looks. Ask, ask the Maple Leafs how it worked out when Frederick Anderson was stealing four games out of every five that they won. They're getting outshot 42 to 18 and winning because Freddie's stealing games. It doesn't work for long. It just doesn't. You can get by on good looks. I did it for a while. Yeah. So I just found it interesting. Just interesting. Listen, you don't not know contact to that? Or are you just trying to ignore all that stuff now? You're off your game today. I'm, I'm a little disappointed. A little disappointed. You must be tired. I'm very tired. But I <laughs> uh, just... It goes to our discussion, though, too, and you can play devil's advocate with it. Of you know, and again, you're right in in your take on Matt Murray and things, but it's also the same idea as you give a guy five or six years at six, seven, eight, nine, ten million. 
what that means is you're not just looking at a 26 year old goaltender as your goaltender that a team can grow with. It means you're looking at a guy who can backstop you to start winning now. Right. What that's what a contract that that's, that's what contracts mean. Contracts represent certain aspects of what your view of a player is. Well, right. we we rip and and he's not the guy in net in Florida. Their Florida is playing tremendously but on the back of a completely different guy than Bobrovsky. But <laughs> but it goes but it, it it goes to show you though, again, you give a Bobrovsky ten million dollars. What that means is whether it's Florida or it's Tampa Bay or it's Pittsburgh or it's Toronto or it's anywhere. When you give a guy, goaltender or not, that type of contract, it means that you expect of him to carry the load. Right. You expect of him to do these certain things, no matter where the team is at. And so on that basis, that's where my example with Murray came from, is it's is you gave him five years at six plus million dollars. It means that you're expecting him to backstop you with this young team to start to produce now as opposed to in three or four years as these kids start to gain experience and, and grow. Now, that, and that's just how it looks. I'm not saying that's how it is. I mean, that's how it looks with the contract you give them. And so it kind of re- represents itself in a certain way based on, on paper anyway, based on what a contract says. You take a Matt Murray, who's a proven winner at 20, you know, in his mid-20s, you take him when he's available. And, and maybe looking into your pipeline uh, at what they, you know, what they may have coming along. Uh, I don't know. Who, who knows? I, 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 haven't, I don't see their prospects play, so I don't know this. But he's probably just more of a confidence builder if you take a if you take a team of 19 and 20 year olds and put a 21 year old goaltender behind them you might you they nearly ruined Marc-Andre Fleury in Pittsburgh and I'm not I'm not saying what you're talking about is wrong I'm just saying there's you, you got to look at this a different way and evaluate your personnel but Marc-Andre Fleury was first overall pick in what oh three uh they threw him right in the net in Pittsburgh and they were horrendous. They were awful. They were two or three years from drafting Crosby at that point. So they were beyond bad. And they put this poor 18 year old kid in the net. He was just getting shell shocked every single night. They nearly ruined him. I mean, he's a great kid and he's more resilient than a lot of people, but you put a guy you put a guy in the wrong place at the wrong time with that the, the wrong team, and holy smokes, he may just run for the exit. Anyway, I think that's probably the logic behind Murray, although I'm not in that room, so I don't know. What would you say, what do you think is, and it could be the Hogberg kid, you know, coming up in Ottawa, I don't know. But when you look down the list of teams that, let's say they're genuine contenders. Like you wouldn't just be absolutely shocked if they won a Stanley cup. Who do you think has got the goaltending to actually get it done? And there are probably six or eight of them anyway. And who simply does not who like who, who would you look at at the top of the divisions right now 
and say, okay, but when the playoffs expose their goaltending, they're going to be gone. Like, is there anybody that stands out? And by the way, before we get into that, I got to tell you, Sergei Bobrovsky, and this is, this is one of my, I, you know how I crack myself up. I, Mm-hmm. Sergey Bobrovsky has a no-move clause, as if that's necessary. When you play like crap for ten million bucks times six years, that's a no-move clause all by itself. That contract is not going anywhere. No. So the only thing that no-move clause does is it makes it so that you have to protect him in the expansion draft, and you can't buy him out. Yeah. That is the worst contract I have seen in years anyway so who do you who do you think uh like off the top of your head i'm i'm looking down the list i can tell you but uh, let's see if let's see if we agree on who's got the goaltending to make it and who doesn't good you go for it tampa does tampa Tampa does does. they're too deep i i still like st louis Mm, st louis is iffy for me um you know, Bennington had himself quite the performance when they won. But is that lightning in a bottle, or is that the way it's going to be? Is it lightning in a bottle, or is it something that can be done again? And St. Louis has been great for how many years now in the regular season, but up until they won the Stanley Cup, they had yet to really prove longevity-wise with deep playoff runs what they can do. So get back into the playoffs and go for deep runs countless times. Go, go, go like Tampa Bay has done and things like that. And I'll, I'll jump on the Bennington bandwagon, but until you do that, I'm not hundred percent sold on Bennington as a guy that, that can backstop you all the way to a championship again. He, he did it, but again, like maybe it was lightning in bottle. You could have said the same thing a number of years ago about Martin Jones of San Jose. Right. Like that. So it, to me, it's lightning in a bottle until you prove otherwise. Um, I, I the it, there's only a few teams that are, that are genuine contenders. Um, as I said at the outset, Washington is a good-looking team. Their goaltending is not going to hold up. Dallas has the goaltending. Don't know if they have the team. Uh, I like Hellebuck in Winnipeg, and that team gets better built every day. Uh, love the Dubois addition there. And their defensemen, uh, their, their Pionk and, and Morrissey and, you know, their whole core has really come a long way in a short time. I love Toronto's uh, goaltending when Campbell is healthy. Vegas has probably got the two best goaltenders uh, in the game right now on the same team. Flyers, gosh, I like Carter Hart and I like that team when they're, when they're healthy and they've got uh, now Giroux back. But, man, I don't know if I can – you just got to pray that you don't have to win a, a playoff series with Brian Elliott. And, and he's a great guy, but um, Calgary seen about enough of big save Dave. Now that's not the right team. I like Colorado's goaltending when they're healthy. Those guys got to stay healthy. Montreal is too deep uh, at in goal. Like, at, like Vegas with Jake Allen and, and Kerry Price. They're as good as anyone. Uh, among contenders, Carolina is is playing great, but their goaltending is not going to work. I, I, if it does, you know, I'll be I'll be shocked. I'm just not 
they're playing with Nedeljkovic and, and Reimer and Morazic now. Not, I'm not going to play. I'm just seller on that. Um, it, it galls me to say so, but Boston uh, with Rask and Houghton Halak and the way that team is coached, I didn't think they would even make the playoffs this year, especially without Pasternak. And they're making a fool of me because, you know, I guess uh, Cassidy just has them playing, you know, next man up, which I applaud. Florida, Bobrovsky is no. And Drieger, no, no, no. So those are the contenders. And so, like, how many of them are there? Maybe Boston. Um, maybe Montreal, Colorado, Vegas, Toronto, Winnipeg, Tampa, maybe St. Louis. Well, you're really throwing Colorado in there, huh? Yeah, I like them. You know, I, I, they just got to stay healthy. Like how many, how many weeks have both of those goaltenders been available in the last two years? Oh, you're going on goaltending. I'm just making a joke that you were actually throwing Colorado in there as a contender. I'm, yay, I've been, I've, been on that, I've been on that bandwagon for a long time. So have I, but I've jumped off. <laughs> I know. I'm, the way I'm they've been playing team. this year. I'm, I'm more objective in my thinking. I'm, I'm way more sound and, and measured in my responses to things. You're supposedly a contending hockey team, but you're nine and six. And, the, and since 2015, and this is my avalanche rant real, real quick, since 2015, you they've had one winning streak and it was when Jonathan Bernier backed him to nine wins. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise you play with the consistency of, of Matt fricking Duchesne and you win one, you lose one, you win one, you lose one, you win one, you lose two, you win two, you lose four. Well, at some point, at some point that's just not going to work. No, I, I look, it's and a result. Now you're nine and six, and you're you're third from last place in your division. Yep. Are you serious? Like it is a results world. That's all there is to it. And I I can tell you that you know in, in inside every room it's all the same. You and we we talked about this, and this is a good way to probably mop this whole episode up. How is it that? Maple Leafs go out and, and win, you know, 15 out of in regular 15 regulation wins in 21 games as of this recording. And one of the regulation losses to the worst team in the league in Ottawa. And they lost and, and they, they struggle to play Ottawa. Why? Because of emotion, because of energy. You saw it happen where, and you see this happen constantly, especially in this season of playing two and three and four game series against each other. You see a team like like Phoenix just gave St. Louis fits for seven games, one four out of seven from them. Is Phoenix a better team? No, they worked harder. They outplayed them. They just had more emotion. And that's why you see a team like Colorado will soundly beat Vegas, one of the top teams in the league. And the next night they get, they get donkey kicked. So the emotion is going to make this even more of a wild card than usual come playoff time. 
if you get the right emotion, the goaltending and the health at, at playoff time, then yes, Colorado is a contender all the way. And, you know, just it doesn't matter who you're a fan of. Ask Vegas. They've been, a, they've been at the top of the odds board all year. If they don't play with that emotion, if their goaltending's not healthy, if their defense isn't healthy and everybody's skating well, it doesn't matter who they are, right? So that we talk about that a lot. We talk about guys like, like Matt Calvert and Wayne Simmons and Zach Hyman and White Cloud in Vegas. And uh, yeah, I mean, just go down the list. Every, every good team's got them. Almost every team has them. And as you and I talk about all the time, you've never know. I've never seen anybody win a cup without them. They're those energy guys. Those guys that don't get paid much. They block a lot of shots. They win faceoffs. They check. They kill penalties. They get their hands dirty for not a lot of money. But you cannot win without them. So that brings us back, and they 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 enter into that pretender contender discussion along with the goaltenders got to have all that and they've got to be healthy which is the one thing that none of us can predict that is literally close your eyes and throw a dart whether you're going to get like you've seen it i've seen it in the last couple of nights a, a team will lose three guys in a span of a couple of shifts yeah. an awkward check a blocked shot and uh and step in a rut and all of a sudden you're down three two forwards and a defenseman in a minute and a half so that's what makes the game fun though hey makes it unpredictable that's why you watch oh it's yeah. reality television that's what that is that's reality tv yep yep <laughs> agreed so well anything else we need to add before we close things up we kind of discussed goaltending like we wanted to and we um, we discussed kind of in the same in the same vein of you know where we see teams fall playoff time and everything. Anything else to add before we finish? I we should probably at least spend a few minutes speculating as to who's next. Like I didn't see Julianne coming. Um, how long, how long are guys going to survive? How long is Travis Green going to survive in Vancouver? Uh, I, who else? Uh, like, I don't, I don't know. Every morning I wake up and Dallas Eakins is still the coach in Anaheim. I'm amazed. Where else? Like, I, I, don't, I don't see a lot of people on real, real thin ice. Um, Tippett, no matter what they're doing there, is not going anyplace, and that team is is going to be. I'm going to have to be annoyed by them again soon. It's Blashell in Detroit. Yeah, and you know how long, how long of a, a rope does he have before before that gets tightened? Because for a team that's struggled this much, yeah, you're in rebuilding, but it, but at the same time, it's like at some point just like anything else you reach you reach the limit here where now okay you got to start putting some things together you yeah you overdid it with joe sacco in colorado years ago <laughs> at some point that leash has to has to tighten you can't keep doing it just simply because they come out in the media and they say the right things like you at some point 
it, again, it's a team game, right? And that includes the coach. It's not just what the players do on the ice. It's what the coaching staff does too. And, and Detroit is too, honestly, too good of a team on paper. Kind of like an Ottawa Senators, you know, with, when you look at the young kids they've got and you know, Mantha and Larkin and these, and these kids and all this stuff, you know, their draft picks this and a revitalized Bobby Ryan that and all these things. And yet they are, they still have four wins in a season. They still are at the basement at, at some point, at some point, because you can't get rid of the players short of finding a trade partner, right? So at some point, you got to revitalize things and bring in a new voice and bring in some new systems and bring in some of this stuff. At what point is does Blaschel reach the end of his rope? Right. I mean, he, they, and he just recently got an extension. I, I'm drawing a blank on if it was before or after their abysmal 43-point season a year or two ago, but they just gave him an extension. At some, at some point, the being in the basement doesn't work anymore for the city, for the organization, for management, for everything, and you've got to change things. And yet he is still the guy, and you never, ever hear about Blaschel from Elliot Friedman to anywhere. You never hear about Blaschel being on a hot seat. It's always, well, what about Sheldon Keefe in Toronto? Or what about about Julian in Montreal? Or what about about Vancouver? Or what about, you know, this and that? But you never hear Blaschel. Well, first of all, you have to, when when you're evaluating a coach's pressure, uh, the, the kind of atmosphere he's in in general, you have to look at the GM. And you got to look at the overall atmosphere of the team. Nobody in Detroit expects to win. They expect to develop right now. And they have already come out as sellers. They've got, including Bobby Ryan and a couple of other guys at the deadline, that they're looking to turn into draft picks or prospects. <clears throat> so the, uh, when you look at the GM, I think Steve Eiserman is going to be a very, very patient guy. Blaschel's been in that system for a long time. Eiserman knows him well. He's been in Grand Rapids forever and studied, you know, for many years under Babcock. He's not saying that he, he won't be fired tomorrow. I'm just saying in general, you look at the atmosphere. Do they expect to win? No. Is he an impatient Jim Rutherford kind of aggressive GM? No. Does that mean that he's going to lose his job soon? Not likely. Now, the same thing can be said in Anaheim, who's got to be getting sick of this, haven't contended in five years, got one of the best goaltenders in the game, who's going to run out of patience. And they're, they're actually, you can't point to anything that Anaheim is doing and say, well, they're really getting a lot better. They're not. Bob Murray is patient to a fault. He won't make moves. He won't bring up kids. He won't do anything aggressive and until the agents for guys like Gibson and Fowler and their mainstay core guys, until those agents phone Bob Murray or Bob Murray's boss and say, my guys had enough, we're getting out. Either trade us or find a better deal someplace or we're walking at the end of the contract for free and you can stuff it. But we've had, we've seen enough. You're not going anywhere. 
until that happens, Bob Murray's not likely to do anything. I would, I would get rid of Bob Murray myself uh, and, and Dallas Eakins and, and shake that organization up. Well, each, each organization is different and, and each manager is different and everything like that. And that's the beauty of it and everything. But yep. it goes to show you the disparity, though, with like the hockey media. Because, <laughs> because, it, because <laughs> it, 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 it's interesting. And again, it's each organization. I get it. But it's interesting that a 10 and 2. Montreal Canadiens can lose four or five and Julian is canned. Yep. But Blaschel hasn't won a game for Detroit <laughs> and they've won games, but you per my exaggerated point. I know won a game with Detroit in a combined amount of time of like two or three seasons. And never once does the media have him on the hot seat. But Julian's mentioned when they lose four or five and this yep. guy's mentioned when they lose two or three and this guy's, you know, and everything like that it goes to show you the disparity a little bit based on organizations and based on locations and based on these things, seriously, of, of how, of who the hockey media will, will, will make, will put on the hot seat as guys who need to be worried about their jobs. And laugh. that goes that goes beyond that goes beyond just individual organizations, uh, you know, being who they are. And I, I and I'm being very serious when I say this. It it really does show a bit of the disparity if you look at you know NHL headquarters based in New York and yeah. Sportsnet and TSN based in Canada and all these things. It goes to show you the bias of the hockey hockey media a little bit on who gets the headlines and who's in the hot seat and who this and that. But then if you try and look at it objectively, and it's where I come from when I mention Blashell, because when you try and look at it objectively, you go, holy crap, I get patience and I get all this stuff. But at some point, a 43-point season, and as an Avalanche fan, let me just say that pissed me off that nobody in the media wanted to mention how horrible that year was. But everybody blows up about it's the worst season in salary, the salary cap era when the Avalanche finished with 48. Yeah. But yet Detroit finished with less, and nobody mentioned that. I digress, though. You, you, it, everybody's different. I get it, and there's patience. But at some point, you have to look at it and go, holy crap. There's patience, and there's rebuilding, and there's, and there's growing, and there's developing. And then there's just... Holy shit! Like there's being asleep at the wheel. At some point, you got to cut the cord here because you know. Because to me, in as as in my efforts to be objective, to me, Blaschel has become complacent. He knows Steve Eiserman's going to be patient. He knows there that nobody expects him to win. So, and I know as a result that my job's not in jeopardy. Nobody's doing it. You know, it is what it is. So I'm just going to go out there and do it. Like, you know, it is what it is. And that doesn't, that doesn't breed a competitive emotion, passionate locker room and organization to want to go out and, and compete. I'm glad you brought that up. And, and I, I only laugh about your media comment because you can give up a shorthanded goal in Montreal and they want to dismember the organization. You can, you can have six or seven years of 
and, and I, I apologize to our Ducks fan, but you can have years of futility in Anaheim and a lot of people don't even know the notice, right? It's not like they don't know the game, but it's just not the focal point. But in the case of, in the case of patients and, and those kind of things that you're talking about, it is, there's one thing to be patient in a rebuild. And, and the problem that Detroit had and the, the problem that was created by Holland, and we talked about this five years ago, at the end of Datsuk and Zetterberg's healthy careers, five years ago, we said, this is a team in huge trouble. They've got nothing in the pipeline. They can't compete. They, they suck at every position. And they've got one or two bona fide NHL players on this roster. And they're getting worse. They're not done sucking yet. They're getting worse every year. They're in real trouble. That was five years ago. you got to stay ahead of it. The, the death spiral that organizations get into is that now all of a sudden guys don't like restricted free agents don't want to sign a long-term deal when you stink. They want to sign a bridge deal to get them to UFA so they can get the hell out. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to go there as a free agent. Nobody wants to sign long-term because they see nothing but futility. Yeah. So if you don't sh- Show your guys, if you don't show your dressing room and your scouting staff and everybody that's potentially going to pull on your sweater, if you don't prove to them that you're committed to winning and that you're willing to shake it up, and sometimes that just means cutting a good coach like Claude Julien or somebody else, if you don't show your club and your fan base that you are committed to doing this at all costs, now all of a sudden... When, when the team starts to stink, players don't want to go there. They don't want to stay there. The fans don't want to go. When the seats become empty, the sponsors now start to go away because there's not enough people watching anymore. No one cares. They suck every year. So I'm not writing a $400,000 check for a board ad. I'm going home. I'm going to take something else. So that becomes a death spiral. Then when it gets to ownership, they go, they all of a sudden wake up one day and they go, oh my gosh. We lost $35 million last year. We stink. What are we going to do? Well, it's a business. It's five years too late, dude. It's five years too late. I get it. It's a business amongst anything else, but well, enter Colorado Rockies with what they're dealing with now. But, um, (laughs) but we talk of intangibles, correct? We talk of, we talk of hardworking, passionate guys. We talk of, proper mindset and things and i get that everybody's different and i get rebuilding and patience but to me coach or coach or player it doesn't matter if you're not stepping foot in that locker room and you're not stepping foot on that ice expecting to win and expecting to compete then get the hell out right and and ultimately i guess i guess and i hate to beat a dead horse but but it's still a prime, a perfect example. I guess that's where I come from when we speak of a Blashell, for example, in Detroit. At some point, there's patience and there's rebuilding and there's doing what you need to. But at some point, you cannot have Dylan Larkin and Mantha and Bobby Ryan and DeKaiser and 
these guys in the lineup. Steve Eiserman now is your general manager who did tremendous things in Tampa and you, all this Absolutely. stuff. And then still get 42 points in a season and still dwindle in the drain. At some point, you've got to have a guy who, who wrangles that, that locker room, whether it be Larkin as your captain or it be your coach, and wrangles him and goes, I don't want you here if you are not expecting to compete and win every night. We can go, like my midget minor double A team did, we can go 0 and 82. I don't care. But you're going to go out and you're going to compete as if you expect to win every night. And to me, to me, I don't want a coach who's not willing to do that. I don't want a player that's not willing to do that. I'll take an entire lineup of these intangible players like Matt Calvert. Give me, give me 23 Matt Calverts yep. and let me, go, let me go 36 and 40-something. Give me, give me 23 Matt Calverts and let me finish with 40 points in a season. Do right. that because I know Matt Calvert will go out there and compete whistle to whistle, opening face off to final buzzer as if his life depended on it. Yep. Give me that passion and give me that from your coach on down to your backup goaltender. Give me that. And, and to me, Blaschel doesn't scream like he's doing that. So it makes me wonder how much of a leash he has. We'll, we won't know, but I, I, that you and I agree a hundred percent on that. Like there's losing and then there's just mailing it in. Like I've, I've seen the senators play a lot this year and you may end up beating them four two with an empty net goal but they're going to beat your brains out to get it done. You're going to be reaching for the ibuprofen when you get on the plane, right? They're going to, they're going to make you work hard. They're going to be so aggravating to play against that. DJ Smith has got them playing hard, the leadership group, and I give Brady Kachuk a lot of credit there. They've got those kids playing hard. If you don't play hard, I'm going to slap the snot out of you. You're going to play hard in this lineup. And that's the difference you can, and that is exactly what you're saying. I totally applaud that. If you're going to lose, lose with pride and lose giving it your best. And when you see a team, and I'm, I hate to keep going back here, but, and, it, and I haven't seen Detroit, I've not seen them play once this year, Detroit Redwings. Um, but I go back to the Ducks, they're just sleepwalking. The whole team is sleepwalking. They either couldn't care less about this coach or they don't see what the point is in competing because the club isn't trying, so why should I? When that happens, it's, it's a death spiral. It's just one thing going bad after another. And you're 100% right. When you see that, it's a results world. When that is your product on the ice, is a bunch of guys floating around you saw it in Colorado a few years ago, not, not the Jared Bednar year, but in the Sacco years. When you see that on the ice, you know that your, your dressing room, your coaching staff, your player development staff, scouts, and everybody, you are toxic from the, from the head down. And that goes, like you said about the Rockies, fish rot from the head. That ownership group is a bunch of dunces. And 
they they hire bad people they draft and trade away good players it's just it's ridiculous so bottom line that you have to have from ownership president player you know the hockey operations guys everybody has to be on fire or the product on the ice just goes completely flat which is what you're seeing and what you're talking about i agree with you completely on that and you can see it and when it gets to that point it's too late when you see that happen now you don't have, you haven't drafted the right players you haven't traded for the right players developed the right players you don't have the right people teaching them and you don't have the right uh leadership group bringing them along to be pros but and that that happens you i was talking to owen this morning you got to be five years ahead of all this this guy's coming out of contract then he's going to be 37 i got to have a new guy here here's my cap situation you're thinking three to five years ahead all the time and if you don't you're out of a job it's just that simple and that i that's what that's the example that we're making i you're right about beating a dead horse but yeah that's exactly where we are so anyway I'm, uh, I, I won't even say it. I, I'll, I'll let it go. Next, what are we doing next week? Next week. What's on the agenda? Do we know yet? I don't think, I don't think so. Um, we can, I guess we can try and have more of an in-depth discussion, although we kind of just did about intangibles and things, but yeah. um, uh, intangibles, different um you know, different stories like that, different things like all that stuff and, and dedicate an hour to an episode to, to that kind of stuff. Um, Cause if we're, if we're going to carry on about it, like we just did, then obviously it's important. So, you know, maybe take, maybe take a week and, and devote an entirety of an episode to it and just kind of dive into it a little more and, and um, dive into it a little more in general as a whole. So we're not just kicking one team and one guy, you know, while he's down, um, but just kind of, you know, team by team, you know, whatever else. And, and just kind of look at, you know, what's needed, you know, cause it, the intangibles are, are needed for, for contending and winning and competing. I would argue more so than size. I would argue you need, you need the intangibles and you need that passion more than you need a, uh, Milan Lucic in your lineup. So, um, I think you're, I think you're bang on and it's probably something that doesn't get enough credit. And I, and that, that will be a good one. And I, when we were talking to our buddy, uh, Ryan Walter last week, um, I don't know if we were on camera or off when, when he really, he kind of jumped up and down at the notion of our, heart of the game or heart of hockey discussion and and it really struck a chord with him and he's one of the all-time great leaders stanley cup winners um one of the one of the most rock solid guys who has ever played the game in a world of rock solid guys he's one of the top ones and and he's regarded that way everywhere i think that's got some merit and it probably everybody looks at the goal scorers and the big hits and the great saves and that's all well and good. But like you said, 
and you and I have talked about ever since the first episode, those intangibles are what makes the world go round. And when you, at the end of the year, when they hand out the cup, that's what you see. I think that's a good way to go. Yep. I look forward to that. Yep. Sounds right. good. Well, well, listen, it's been a pleasure. Yep. I, uh, looking forward to getting back in studio. We got to get the work done in there so we can get back in the studio and get at this live and in person again. Yep. Let them finish the construction and then go in there and piece it all together and then we can start doing, uh, start getting on video podcasts like we, yep. like we've mentioned and back to in-person stuff and, and all that stuff. And yeah. so I, I think all of our viewers can probably, if you're over the age of 25 or 30, you can, you can certainly understand when we say we are waiting on the trades to get some of our work done. And in the age of the COVID, whatever it is, the Kung flu thing, it's even harder. So we're getting there, yes. but I'll look forward to that. Anyhow, next week will be good. Uh, look forward to that. Thanks for having me on today. Yep. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining. And All right. uh, we'll, uh, I'll obviously do uh, outro, um, outro for everything here. And All right. uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you in preparations for next week. You got it. Well, cheers, bud. Thanks. Cheers. Yep. See you later, everybody. See ya. Tremendous episode this week, uh, goaltending and coaching. Uh, thank you, uh, Brad, Dad, for joining via Zoom. Uh, I know it's an interesting time with everything um, travel-wise to get back in person, but we I appreciate you joining via Zoom each week uh, to keep the content rolling. Warm the Hockey Podcast, episode 76 this week, goaltending and coaching. Uh, I enjoyed it. I hope you did it as well. Make sure you head to Facebook and Instagram, Warm the Hockey Podcast, and at Warm the Hockey Podcast, respectively. Uh, like and follow us there. Engage with us. Um, we haven't gotten a whole lot of engagement yet. Uh, engage with us. Write in stories, questions, uh, things you want answered on recording, on episode, um, anything like that. We are happy to do it. Uh, just waiting for, just looking for you to uh, to engage with us so we can do so. Um, make sure you head to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, subscribe. And again, uh, the important, important one, and it all, it's all important, uh, subscription, all that stuff is important, but the re- important, important one on top of it, uh, the rating and review, um, no matter your personal viewpoints, mine included, like I mentioned at the beginning of the review system, uh, with different things like businesses and different things like that. Um, it is still a very, very important piece in helping shows like this continue to grow and, um, gain traction, uh, beat the algorithms and, um, yeah, continue to grow and, and, and provide us with the platform to continue to put out the content, uh, for everybody that we hope you enjoy hearing. So warm the hockey podcast, uh, great, great episode this week in the coming week. I'm looking forward to, uh, more good hockey action in the NHL as we, uh, continue to progress with this 56 game schedule, continuing to be interested in seeing where, uh, things end up with the big question we asked a few weeks ago. Uh, which was, 
what happens if not every team can play 56 games, and what does that mean if you're basing uh, playoff positions and things like that on win percentage um, or other factors. But a lot to look forward to. We hope you enjoy the hockey action. Um, NCAA hockey, forgot to mention at the beginning, NCAA hockey is... um, getting into their uh, conference tournaments. Different luck with COVID and things, but they are getting to their conference tournaments for the Frozen Four and National Tournament. A lot of big stuff. Look for a social media post about that um, on at War in the Hockey Podcast on Instagram and War in the Hockey Podcast on Facebook. So a uh, lot of good hockey action. No updates on junior yet, but uh, co- college hockey and NHL are underway and uh, doing some good things. So lots to look forward to. Thank you all for joining us. We thank you so much. Listeners are driving force behind what we do, and we can't thank you enough for continuing to tune in. Again, big thank you to uh, to Brad, my dad, for joining via Zoom yet again. Uh, can't do it without you. And, um, yeah, enjoy your hockey. I'm Evan Rauer with Warm the Hockey Podcast. We'll see you all throughout the hockey community. Cheers.